Welcome to the You Debate Sports Podcast, the new sports podcast that's bringing the debate to the fans. From football to basketball to baseball, let your voice be heard by joining our community of fans. And now, it's time for your host, Ken Bone. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Ken Bone, and this is the You Debate Sports Podcast. So what we're doing here at Udebate Sports is we're creating a platform that enables sports fans to engage more directly with one another in order to share knowledge and gain perspective. Now, one of the ways that you can do that is by heading over to our website, udebatesports.com. Check out our most recent debate on the current top five players from Alabama in the NFL. Let us know who your top five are and go check out who our top five are. Now, before we get into the top wide receiver prospects in this upcoming draft, and the biggest surprises from the NBA season. First, wanted to talk about Shohei Otani a little bit. The Angels star two-way player and the little bit skinnier Babe Ruth. So we all know about his struggles in spring training. Over eight and two-thirds innings, posted a 6.21 ERA, and went one for 12 with multiple strikeouts, looking like he just didn't know how to hit. Looked like a high school hitter. That's what some scouts were comparing him to. But now we get into the regular season. First three games at Angel Stadium, back-to-back-to-back home runs. First two starts, 18 strikeouts, two walks, up to 100 miles an hour. Yesterday, April 8th, throwing a perfect game through six and a third. Striking out 12, giving up no runs over seven innings. That's exhibit A, why spring training doesn't matter, guys. is because of Shohei Otani and what he's been able to do and produce in the regular season. Now, some of the adjustments that he's made. In spring training, he didn't really have a feel for that splitter. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard about it, but in his last start against the Angels B team, he was throwing 92 to 94 when his fastball was supposed to be up around the high 90s, even the 100s. But he was, you know, he was sitting 92, 94, didn't really have command. But what a lot of people didn't realize, he was throwing all splitters. The reason that he didn't have success on the mound during spring training was he didn't have a feel for his splitter. After that start, Mike Sosha came out and said, you know, that was a great start for him. And a lot of people were, what What are you talking about, Sosha? You don't know what you're talking about. But the thing was, he got a feel for that splitter in the last inning of that game. And it's really carried over into the into the regular season, it's been his best pitch. He's, the depth on that pitch is crazy. And at the plate, he's also made an adjustment. He's been able to get his foot down quicker, and he's eliminated his leg kick. This allows him to see the ball longer, and his timing's better on big league pitching. Now, I think he's still going to have a little problem with inside pitches. I think that teams will start pitching in him, him inside, and you know, he's not going to be able to hit 300 with 30 bombs this year and half the plate appearances that Mike Trout has, it's just not going to happen. But realistically, if he hits around, you know, 270, that's great. With 15 home runs, fantastic. I mean, that's one of the most special things that anybody's been able to do. What pitcher that throws 100 miles an hour has also been able to hit your team 15 bombs? So anyways, when that's all said and done, when his career is all said and done, after what we've seen so far, you know, I know it's a small sample size, which Japanese player will have had the biggest impact on baseball. Ichiro Suzuki or Shohei Otani? Ichiro with all his hits combined between Japan and the U.S. 
would be more than Pete Rose's all-time record. Still has 3,000 hits in, in, the, in MLB. And then Shohei, who has the potential to be, you know, I mean, people are saying the Japanese Babe Ruth, but still an impressive two-way player. You know, how does that, how does that change the way that people play the game coming up in the future? Is there going to be more two-way guys because Shohei's set the example? I don't know. You let us know. Head on over to Twitter or Instagram and let us know which Japanese player will have had a bit bigger impact by the end of their careers. All right, now getting into the top wide receiver class, class for the 2018 NFL Draft. So I spent this weekend, this last weekend, going over a lot of the film. You know, you've, we, I've heard a lot of other people's rankings, NFL expert Mike Mayock's top five. Um, but I, I just spent a weekend breaking down, looking at their combines, looking at their pro days, but more importantly, looking at their tape, you know, how they actually play. Because a lot of people get caught up in this combine and these numbers, and, and you don't really truly see how they are on tape. So this draft class isn't going to have any top-tier talent. You know, it's not like the 2011 draft class with A.J. Green and Julio Jones. It's not like that, but hopefully you can get a maybe a low-tier one wide receiver at the max. I mean, I, I almost don't even see that. If you can get maybe a solid wide receiver two, or at least a wide receiver three, you're going to get what you need out of this draft class. And it's deep. You know, a lot of these guys, um, four through nine, are are all right in the mix to be in that top five. But we had to make a separation, and, and I'll explain why we did that later. I think that one of the biggest things that's going to hurt teams is taking wide receivers for need instead of taking the best available talent because there's it's such a depth and they're so close together in terms of talent. I think that you'll be able to get some steals later on in drafts, and you won't have to really draft for a need so early. So the two main things that we looked at was the receiver's route running ability and obviously his hands, because if you're a wide receiver and you can't catch the ball, then you shouldn't be a wide receiver. So we're going to go over our top five right now. I'm going to give some honorable mentions. The first honorable mention is Deshaun Hamilton, the wide receiver from Penn State. is probably the best route runner in the draft. And it's going to be a steal for some team in around the fourth, fifth round. I mean, that's going to be a real steal for somebody who can run effective routes. As long as he can catch the ball, he'll be an NFL starter. The second honorable mention is Equinemia St. Brown, the wide receiver from Notre Dame. His production was down, um, but he's a tall, lengthy wide receiver who runs quicker than you know most people give him credit for. And he flies for a big dude. And his route running is really good too, but the only problem is that he's not he's not super strong. He has problems with his hands. He can drop balls that you know should have been caught because he's not stronger. And I see NFL DBs being able to press him pretty pretty easily off the line and, and disrupt his routes. And the last honorable mention, it was really hard for me to keep him off our list. Um, he could honestly be the third best wide receiver in this class, and that's Anthony Miller from Memphis. Um, just some serious speed, serious big playability, but he has a lack of concentration on the easier catches, has a tendency to drop balls, uh, but really does have a playmaking ability at all three levels, you know, the intermediate, out of the slot, and on the edge. So that brings us to our fifth best wide receiver in this 2018 draft class, and that's DJ Moore from Maryland. Similar to former Terp wide receiver Stephon Diggs for the Vikings, except that Stephon Diggs has a little bit more uh, big playability. 
DJ Moore isn't the best route runner, you know. That was what kept him this low on the list. Otherwise, he'd be, you know, number one or number two. But his route running ability is, is not there yet. His routes are very gradual, and he doesn't have that quickness out of the breaks. He does a good job working back to the ball, however, for his quarterback. But that route running is something he's really going to need to work on. He's a super explosive athlete. His combine and his performance in pro days really shot him up the draft boards. And with a lot of production at Maryland with 80 receptions, a lot of people like to look at him as a volume receiver. However, a lot of those were easy, pretty easy catches, um, bubble screens, behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, but that's also another thing that you can do with him. He's like a running back. You can give the ball to him out of the backfield. Uh, and if he gets the ball in space, look out. because he's, he's got the build of a running back. I mean, he's that explosive. Okay, so moving on to number four, we have Michael Gallup from Colorado State University. Now, a lot of people don't really know about Michael Gallup because he played in, you know, a smaller conference for a Colorado State team that wasn't very great. But looking at the film, this dude is the most underrated wide receiver in this 2018 class. He only ran a 4-5-40, which isn't explosive. Uh, it's kind of explosive for a wide receiver, but... It's sneaky quick. You know, he sneaks past DBs, and he has the ability when he gets in space, it's, uncan- it's, it's not like anybody else in this draft class. He can really explode when he's in the open field. The reason that people don't really know about him is because he's a JUCO product, and in his second year at community college, he was injured, which took away a lot of the Power 5 offers that he had. And so Colorado State gladly signed him. A lot of people also like to knock him on the talent, in the conference that he had, but he did have one game against Alabama. He was shut down, but Colorado State's offense is primarily Michael Gallup. They were throwing the ball to him every other down. So with an Alabama defense that's the best in the land, they were just double-teaming him, pressing him off the line. I mean, he didn't really have a chance. Now, if you're going to pay that much attention to him in the NFL, he's certainly not going to have a good career. You know, if you're putting safety help over the top and you're pressing him off the line, This dude's not going to have a career at all. He's going to be out of the league in a year. But nobody does that. You know, he's going to have man coverage, and his routes are silky smooth. I mean, he has the ability at the top of the routes, he's soft breaks, and he's lengthy too. You can play him in the slot. He has the ability to catch and run yards after catch, yak. (laughs) Or you have the ability to play him on the outside, where he has that sneaky speed to to get past defensive backs and burst into into that secondary. So look out for Michael Gallup. I think he's really got potential in this draft to be one of the better receivers in the class. Now we come to number three. We got Christian Kirk from Texas A&M. Now Christian Kirk's one of the safer picks. I mean, you know what you're getting with Christian Kirk. He's a slot receiver. He's not really going to be able to play outside. He doesn't have that burst of speed, but he's a tough guy, and he's smart too. He's a big-bodied receiver for how small he is. I mean, I think he's 5'11". Um, but he's strong, he's built, and he's got outstanding hands, probably the best hands in this draft class. Again, there's something to be said for a guy that you know what you're going to get, and his ceiling isn't crazy high. Uh, I don't see it being anything above a low wide receiver two, but he's he's certainly going to be your wide receiver three. I think he's going to really make a name for himself in the league because of his route running. You know, he has that ability to get open even though he's not explosive, and what you're going to get is you're also going to get a returner. He's excellent in the return game. He has the ability to make people miss in space. And that's also huge for him out of the slot because if you're not making people miss out of the slot, you're really not going to be a good slot receiver. 
So that's why Christian Kirk is our number three receiver, just a safe pick. You know what you're getting, and he's going he's gonna to be a good slot receiver. At number two, we have Cortland Sutton, the wide receiver from Southern Methodist University, SMU. Now, this dude's a big body. Yeah, about 6'4", 215. He's going to be a huge red zone threat, and he's actually sneaky quick at, with a 4'5", 40 speed. He has a huge target and catch radius with strong hands. He catches balls away from his body, which is good. He's not catching balls off his body. And he's physical and willing to block. I mean, he'll, he'll deck dudes, which is, which is allowing your running back to get extra yards on the outside. I mean, there's something to be said for wide receivers that are willing and able to block. Um, the weaknesses that he has is he doesn't really have breakaway speed. While he's a deep threat, he's going to have to go up for those 50-50 contested balls. He's not just going to be breaking away from defensive backs in the NFL. And he doesn't run the crispest routes. You know, he, he runs good routes, but he gets away with using his strength and his body to kind of shield off defensive backs. He's going to need to get better at that, but I think with his work ethic and his intelligence, that's going to be something that comes pretty easy for him. You know, I think this guy has a potential to be definitely a wide receiver too in the NFL. And because of his versatility, he can be a red zone threat and he can be a volume he can be a volume receiver. So that's why Cortland Sutton is our number two receiver. And number one, I think it's pretty obvious, it's Calvin Ridley, the wide receiver from Alabama. Besides Deshaun Hamilton from Penn State that we talked about earlier, Calvin Ridley is certainly the most impressive route runner out of anybody. He can run every route in the route tree. You know, he can run out of the slot, slants, deep, posts, you know, you name it, in-breaking routes, out-breaking routes, and he does it all at an elite level. Um, with the acceleration and the cuts that he comes out of his routes, he really creates that separation. And with his speed, not only creating separation, but once he gets the ball, his yards after the catch is the best in the draft. You know, maybe next to Anthony Miller. But he also has good hands. You know, he catches the ball away from his body, good ball security. And again, that speed's elite. You know, once he gets in the open field, he's tough to tackle. The one knock that he had was that he's, he's small in stature, and he's probably going to be only out of the slot in the NFL. Uh, but there's no problem with that. I mean, slot guys, uh, you look at them, they're going to get you yards after the catch. Just put him in the slot, get him the ball, and let him run. But he can get affected by the press off the line because he's small in stature. He's not very strong. So you're going to be able to body him off the line, and at the top of his routes, Bigger defensive backs are going to be able to put that body on him and affect his routes. But besides that, I mean, he's really the best all-around receiver in the class because of his route running, because of his hands. And that's why Calvin Ridley is the best receiver in the 2018 class. Now, if you guys have any differences in opinions, go ahead over to Instagram or Twitter and let us know who your top five wide receivers for the 2018 draft class are. Do you have somebody like Equinemius St. Brown in your top five? Is Calvin Ridley still your number one prospect? And what about James Washington, the Bulletnikoff Award winner from Oklahoma State? We didn't mention him, but is he on your list? Let us know. Now I want to get into some of the biggest surprises for the NBA season. Um, we're talking about teams, not, not so much players. Teams that kind of came out of nowhere, teams that surprised you, or teams that way overshot you know, what they were supposed to be. Uh, so we'll go with three teams, the first one being the Pacers at number three. Nobody thought this team was going to be good this year. I mean, with your best player being Victor Oladipo, who hadn't really had much success 
in OKC with Russell Westbrook. But this year comes out and he's the most improved player. He's a great perimeter defender, leads the NBA in steals, and is averaging 24 points a game. He's certainly an all-NBA defender and is making a push to be on one of the all-NBA teams. Probably not because there's so many you know, elite guards. you got Dame Lillard, Westbrook, um, James Harden. You know, there's just so many. Steph Curry, he, although he might not even make an all-NBA team this year because of his injuries. But Victor Oladipo is right there. I mean, he's right in the mix with them. I think that the player for them that's been a real surprise has been DeMontis Sabonis, the second-year man from Gonzaga, the big man. He also came over in that Victor Oladipo trade, and I don't think that many people expected much from him, so that's why he's... With his success that he's had this year, he's really surprised some people. And you could even argue that he's the bigger surprise than Oladipo on that team just because of where people had slotted him coming in. And I think this Pacers team has the potential to give the Cleveland Cavaliers a run for their money. You know, they're a fifth seed. They came into the year not expecting to even make the playoffs, let alone be one of the better defensive teams in the East. I think they can give the Cavs a run for their money. Oh, best case scenario, maybe push them seven games and lose in the seventh game. But I think the X factor in that series is going to be Miles Turner. If he can shut down Kevin Love on the perimeter, I think that the Pacers are going to have some serious success. And you're obviously going to need to double team LeBron in the post. But I think that Victor Oladipo is going to be able to contain him to a certain extent on the perimeter. Uh, being the elite defender that he is, maybe cause a few turnovers, cause cause some havoc on the perimeter. But once LeBron gets Oladipo down in the post, you're really going to have to bring a double team. He's just so overpowering down there. But once he gets downhill and once he starts getting in the post, I think he's just too big for Oladipo. You're going to have to bring double teams, and that's when James starts passing. So that's why I don't think that the Pacers win this series, but I think that they actually give um, – Cleveland a better run for their money than most people think, just because of their defensive ability, Miles Turner's athleticism as the five, being able to guard Kevin Love out to the perimeter. I think they'll do a little better than people expect, but I don't see them winning the series. The second biggest surprise in the NBA this year is the 76ers. Just three years ago, the 76ers had only won 10 games. Now this year, for the first time since 2001, they're a 51 team, and they've clinched the third seed in the East. They're on a 14-game winning streak, and their point guard, Ben Simmons, is looking like he's going to be the rookie of the year. I mean, this guy's averaging 16 points, 8 rebounds, and 8 assists in his first year. Stats that haven't been put up since the likes of Hall of Famer Oscar Robertson, the point guard for the Bucks back in the 60s and 70s. I mean, what, what Ben Simmons is doing this year is, is special. I think that when LeBron calls you the next best player in the league, or like the next coming, you're pretty special. People have been calling him the Fresh Prince. But that's not the only reason why the Sixers have been a surprise this year. It's because as the third seed, many people expected them with their young talent, with him, with Embiid, who's injured right now. But a lot of people expected them to only be maybe an eight seed in the playoffs, maybe just barely scratching the surface. But the reason why they're the third seed is because Brent Brown, the coach, he's stressed the defensive side of the ball. And he's actually made the 76ers one of the better defensive rating teams in the NBA. They still give up a lot of points per game, um, but they defend the three ball well. 
with Robert Covington, their wing. Really underrated wing, 3 and D guy. He's been extremely important for their team. And then let's not forget J.J. Redick. He's been a huge shooter for them, uh, spreading the floor for Ben Simmons. Because I think that's what they need. When they get into the playoffs, they're really going to have to spread the floor. They can't clog the lane with Embiid. I know Embiid won't be there for the first round. But they won't be able to clog the lane with Simmons and Embiid with just bigs, you know. Um, so they're going to have to spread it out with J.J. Redick, Robert Covington, Dario Saric. And then with Markel Fultzback, he's looking good off the point. So that's going to have to send T.J. McConnell to the bench. But T.J. McConnell, the energy that he brings every night, there's an argument that he could be the sixth man of the year. I know that it's going to be probably either Lou Williams or, or Fred VanVleet, and both those guys are huge stories. But T.J. McConnell, the energy that he brings to the 76ers with his triple-double earlier this year, he's not somebody to be overlooked. And then the biggest surprise of the NBA this year is looking to be the four seed in the West, the Utah Jazz. Quinn Snyder, arguably the coach of the year, I don't know why that people aren't looking at Quinn Snyder as coach of the year. What he's done with this team, the way he's made them uh, elite defensively, they're a top five defensive team with undersized guards and Donovan Mitchell and Ricky Rubio. I mean, those guys aren't elite defenders. The only elite defender you got down in the post is, is Rudy Gobert, and he's probably actually going to be the defensive player of the year. But to have a top five defensive team with your tallest guard being 6'3", in Donovan Mitchell, that's pretty impressive. And they have arguably the most underrated player in the NBA at the small forward position, and that's Joe Ingles. I mean, what Joe Ingles does on this for this team on a night-in, night-out basis, he, shoot, he just shoots a three ball. But he does it at the fifth highest percentage of anybody in the NBA. Call this guy the mailman. Not like Carl Malone because he delivers, but because he just looks like your average mailman. I mean, he's out there looking like he's delivering mail at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and then goes out and just hits 45% from three. It's unbelievable. This guy doesn't look like he should be in the NBA. But he is, and he's out there every night. And I think that that's why he gets slack. They've given a Golden State team a run for their money. In the regular season, I know that Golden State's been uh, pretty banged up recently, but even in the beginning of the season. And the start that this team had to be where they are now they started the season at 8-11 and 11 and had one of the hardest strength of schedules out of everybody in the NBA. You know, it would have been nice if they went 500 out of that stretch. and You know, maybe we're fighting for the Clippers down the stretch, possibly getting into the playoffs but getting eliminated, you know, pretty late down the stretch. Uh, this team is at the fourth seed in the Western Conference, a conference where the Teams are split up by one game apiece, and they're the first team to clinch above teams like OKC, above teams like San Antonio. And that's why Quinn Snyder needs to be getting more recognition because he's – I know that Donovan Mitchell has been a superstar for this team, and he's making a case for Rookie of the Year. But when you can take a team and turn them into the top five defensive rating team in the NBA – that's why they're good. It's not because Donovan Mitchell's been a freak athlete and a, and, and a rookie of the year candidate. I mean, that's part of it. But it's really because of Quinn Snyder. And that's why the Jazz are the biggest surprise this year in the NBA. Let me know who your biggest surprise teams in the NBA are this season. Let us know. I'm always up for a good debate. And with that being said, guys, thanks again for listening. Um, 
I know I've said it a bunch of times, but really, head on over to our social media, Instagram, Twitter, join the debate. We want to bring the debate to you guys. If you have any questions, if you have any topics you'd like to have answered or brought to the table for discussion, let me know. DM us. Email me. My email is on the website, udebatesports at gmail.com. And until next time, guys, thanks for listening and happy debating.